Hello and welcome to the Deep Bible Studies Podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Gladys Rivera Guevara, and today we will be going through part one of John 8, 12 through 20. So let's get started. This passage is titled, I am the light of the world. So before I begin, I would like to read this commentary of context from John MacArthur regarding this passage. It says, Excluding the story of the adulterous woman, this verse attaches itself to John 7, 52. The word again indicates that Jesus spoke once more to the people at the same feast of booths or tabernacles. While Jesus first used the water drawing rite as a metaphor to portray the ultimate spiritual truth of himself as the Messiah who fulfills all the feasts anticipated, he then turned to another rite that traditionally occurred at the feast, the lighting ceremony. During the tabernacles, four large lamps in the temple's courts of women illuminated a joyous celebration that took place there, with people dancing, holding burning torches, and singing songs of praise. Jesus took this opportunity of the lighting ceremony to portray another spiritual analogy for the people, namely, I am the light of the world. Verse 12 says, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So next episode, I'm going to talk about what Jesus means in the second I am statement. Right now though, I want to emphasize the significance of the sentence, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In the gospels, we see this phrase over and over again. So what does this mean? Here in the West, we have all of our technology and with social media, the words follow me seem very superficial and popularity based, but that could not be more far from reality on this phrase said by the Messiah. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant this from Matthew 10, 38 through 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This means that a follower of Jesus is someone who is completely in, a person completely devoted and convinced of who he is. This means that there literally is no such thing as a mediocre or stagnant Christian. It's not possible. Listen to what God will do with half-hearted Christians who are so infatuated with what the world gives rather than praising the one who saved our souls from eternal death by giving his own life. This is in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, which says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what God himself says. To follow Jesus, there is a cost to count because it will cost. But how much more did it cost the Son of God to give his life to unworthy sinners so that they might be justified, forgiven, and redeemed by God himself? In light of that, I mean, following Jesus is nothing. And yet, he took the punishment of sin so you wouldn't have to, like the hymn says, because Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. He is worthy of following, and he is worth following. And like a friend from a public school ministry once said, if you cannot live for Jesus, you will not die for him. Listen to what he says about those who are called to follow him. 
they will not walk in the darkness but they will have light that is him the light of life is him no longer those called sovereignly by him will have to walk in the darkness of the world the flesh and the enemy Rather, now those he calls to follow him to walk in his light are reconciled to God and will be eternally in the presence of God, led and taught by the Father himself. Verse 13 says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The basis for this is in Deuteronomy 17.6, which says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Yet, as we can see before, Jesus was not only bearing witness about himself, even though his witness about himself is true, but specifically we see in John 5 how Jesus, John the Baptist, the Father, and the Scriptures, also the Holy Spirit, and even the Samaritan woman in John 4, bore witness about him. These are the most powerful and trustworthy witnesses. I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. That's in John 5, that's Jesus speaking. And as Jesus said himself, he did not come to abolish the law but rather to fulfill it and we see this clearly played out even in the utmost detail about witnesses. So the next verses say, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not alone I who bear judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. It is not questioned in the law that the testimony of two honorable people is not true. So this means that Jesus' testimony is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Verse 19 through 20 says, They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is a very important point because of what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 55 through 56a. For a bit of background, this is when Jesus was arrested uh, and Judas had betrayed him. It says, At that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. They had numerous chances to arrest him, but the repetition in the scriptures is important because it means emphasis. So, in this gospel, this phrase, his time had not come yet, emphasizes God's incredible sovereignty. Over and over again, we continue to see this reality that what happens is only according to the Lord's will and that his will is completely in line with scripture. Also, we see the emphasis here that Jesus came to fulfill the prophets for he is the center of the scriptures, the great redeemer and savior of the world. You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. 
You can also find us on Instagram at Deep Bible Studies and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.